Over the last few weeks, we have been exploring uh, the book of Philippians, and we've been exploring what the Scripture teaches in this incredible letter about choosing joy. And joy is, is something of a paradox in that it doesn't come in the way that happiness comes. It doesn't come in things necessarily going well for us or us focusing on ourselves. In fact, joy comes as we are emptied as we give of ourselves out of love for the Lord and in service to others. As we recognize that truly we are not of this world, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have a totally different identity, a different mission, a different purpose, a different understanding of life, and a different value system. Well, today we're going to explore three individuals in the Scripture who demonstrated what it was like to live for Christ and not of this world. And they are individuals that show us a pattern of how we can enter into the joy that the Lord offers us. In fact, it shows us what true heroes are. This past week at camp, that was the theme. We looked at some superheroes, and we looked at Jesus himself, and we looked at who he's called us to be, and it is something transformational and radically different than this world. True heroes, to be something different than a, a sports hero who's simply praised for their abilities and for their success, true heroism is something deeper. And it's found with three elements that must be in place in order for us to truly say that person, that individual, is a hero. And those three elements are selflessness, service, and sacrifice. When we demonstrate those things, we are heroes because that is what Jesus Christ did for us, the greatest hero. Ultimately, heroes think not about themselves but about serving the needs of others, oftentimes at great personal risk. And the truth is, you cannot be a hero without risk. Now, when I use that term, understand that I'm not referring to gambling. In fact, it's the exact opposite. And what makes it different is not the odds, it is the value system. When we gamble, it's about ourselves. If I was to buy a lottery ticket or to go to the casino that's across the street from my flat, um, you're all wondering how often I go there now. You're all thinking that, aren't you? Casino Royale, in case anybody wants to know. Never been in there. But anyway, if I was to go there and gamble, my gambling is focused on me getting more, right? But what this is talking about, what this passage of Scripture here in Philippians is talking about giving more. It's a totally different value system. And Christianity is full of genuine heroes, genuine risk takers. Here in this passage, in verses 29 and 30, it speaks of a man named Epaphroditus. We know very little about Epaphroditus other than what is recorded here in this letter to the church at Philippi. There's another name that's similar in Colossians, but it's most likely a different person. But he is mentioned here in this passage as being a risk taker. 
And Epaphroditus became an incredible inspiration to the early church. And my prayer is that he will become an inspiration to you and I as well. Philippians 2, verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor. Uh, Honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now this word, risk that's there in the scripture is a, is a particular wor- uh, verb in the, um, in the language of the New Testament that talks about um, putting oneself in danger, in hazard, exposing oneself to risk. And that word that's used there became an inspiration to the early church. In 252, A.D., there was a plague in the city of Carthage. And at that time, there were a group of believers that were led by a pastor by the name of Cyprian who began to identify themselves by this Greek word, which is parabolonai. It's kind of a strange, strange word, um, but it's, uh, it's a really good biblical word, the parabolonai. They took that on as a badge as a calling for their own life, that they would be risk takers. And they would follow the example of Epaphroditus. And so when the plague broke out in the city of Carthage in North Africa, the people of the city were throwing the dead bodies outside the walls. And eventually, because there was so much death and so much disease, that they began to flee the city, leaving those who were sick, those who were dying, to their own fate. But the Parabolonai, under the leadership of Cyprian, entered the city. They burned and buried the dead. They nursed the sick back to health. And they shared their hope in Christ Jesus with a lost and dying city. They showed the love of Christ in a very practical way by entering into the very brokenness that had filled their city in the same way that Jesus Christ entered into the brokenness of our world because of sin. And they reflected his character. As a result, many physically recovered, but even more importantly, there was a great revival, a spiritual renewal that broke out in the city of Carthage that spread all across North Africa. In fact, there's some roots even of this that inspired later on Augustine, his life, as he was wrestling and and struggling with a life that was focused on self, and then he saw the difference of the parabolonai and how they lived, and he had to find a way to reconcile and discover what was true. Now, as a result, many of the Parabolonai became victims of the plague themselves. They were not shielded. They were at risk. And many lost their lives in the service of Christ and the suffering of the peoples of Carthage. Can you imagine the courage it took for these believers to purposely go into a plague-infested city? knowing that there was a high likelihood that they themselves would die. How were they able to do it? They recognized that this life is a gift, but it is temporary. 
and that we are given eternity, eternal life when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Therefore, we are able to risk that which has value, our lives, in order to pursue pursue something of greater value, bringing glory to God and serving other people that they may know Jesus Christ. You see, that is the most valuable thing in all of the universe. So here's my premise for today. God is inviting us all to take a risk of faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever draws near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch for us to actually translate that without risk, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. It is a risk of faith, a risk of obedience, a risk of sacrifice, a risk of service, a risk of love. I believe God is calling us to take some steps of faith beyond our comfort zone and take a risk. Maybe not entering into a plague-infested city or putting our lives in physical danger. But if we are desiring of pleasing God, knowing that that is our ultimate purpose and our ultimate joy, it will mean taking a risk. It is a risk to share your faith in Christ with a neighbor, a friend, or a family member. It's a risk to stand up for what is right and honoring to God at work or at school. It is a risk to go into the culture that we live in and that focuses in on themselves and to live differently, but to live lovingly and graciously, believing that God loves them just as much as He loves you and passionately wanting to share with them the hope of the gospel, that God has stepped into this brokenness of our lives and offers new life, healing, and hope. It's a risk. It's a risk to obey God with our actions, with our finances, with our relationships. It's a risk not of something that truly has eternal value because when we risk something for Christ, We never lose. Even if you lose your life, you win. Because that is the dynamic of how God works when we place ourselves in His hands. The safest place to be for you or for me is to be in the very center of God's will for our life, even if that takes us into physical danger. The most dangerous place to be is outside the will of God. In fact, the most dangerous place to be is outside of faith in Christ Jesus himself. That is true peril because our eternal souls are at risk and we do not have the resources in and of ourselves to rescue ourselves. We have to place our trust in Christ Jesus. So God is calling us to take risks for Him, not to be foolhardy, but to be bold, 
And my prayer is that each one of us will begin to pray, Lord, how do you want to stretch me today? How do you want to stretch me as I I wake up in the morning? How do you want to use me in the workplace or here with my neighbors or in the culture or in the marketplace at school? Lord, how can I take a risk for you that allows me to live in such a way that others will see Jesus Christ? Well, I believe we have an example, three examples here in this passage. So if you would back up to verse 14 of chapter 2 in Philippians, and we're going to look at three individuals, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, and how they demonstrate what it is to be a genuine risk taker for the faith. Philippians 2, 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Now, remember, he's writing those words in prison. He's chained 24 hours a day to a guard. Many of those he led to Christ have now forgotten him. He's there. He's isolated to a large degree. He had, if anybody had reason to grumble, he did. I'm guessing that the food didn't have a lot of variety day after day after day. The water was probably tepid and polluted. He's surrounded by rodents and insects. You know, at camp, the great, the great danger was the hornets that would get into the room. Nobody wants to deal with that. But what if you're in prison, chained, can't get anywhere And there are spiders and hornets and bees and rats. I don't know about you, but I might complain just a bit once or twice every five minutes. But he says, do nothing without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent. You see, this is what had such an impact on those guards. So much so that the scripture tells us elsewhere that Virtually all of the Praetorian Guard heard the gospel because they had to take turns being chained to Paul. And he saw a radical difference in this prisoner and how he responded to the conditions he is in because he practiced this. He took the risk of faith. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. That's the key. Our resource is God's word. That's why it's so important for us to immerse ourselves in God's word every day, to meditate on it, to allow it to come to life within us. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if, I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's attitude is one, if my demise, if my suffering, if my imprisonment can serve to strengthen the faith of others, I will rejoice. How radically different is that from our culture? We focus in on comfort, and we want to have all the things that we want to make our life in this world better. 
but we are not of this world. That's what Jesus tells us in his high priestly prayer in John 17. You are not of this world even as I am not of this world. He wants us to live differently and show who Christ is. Paul's saying, if my service of your faith causes me to suffer, to be poured out, it's worth it. You're worth it. Because that's what Jesus did for us. So Paul shows us the attitude that we are to have as a risk taker. We are to pursue selflessness. To remember, you know, it's not about me. Perhaps those are the most powerful words for us to remind ourselves of day after day after day. If you really want joy, that's the place to begin. It's not about me. Because when I make it about me, then how other people respond, what they do, will always serve as an irritant. It will rob me of life. Because guess what? They're probably not going to respond in the way I want them to. Because they're probably not thinking about me. If we want joy, it begins with an attitude, it's not about me. And eventually, Paul himself was poured out as a drink offering. Just a couple of years after this letter to the church at Philippi, he was beheaded for his service in the name of Jesus Christ because he believed with all of his heart that he was Savior and that he was Lord. He gave gave his life in the service of God and for the benefit of others so that they may come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He was a risk taker. He was one of the parabolonai. And what he did was he exemplified the humility of Christ. That's why he tells us earlier in in the chapter, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus said, it's not about me. That's why he set aside the glory of the creator God, the one who made everything. He set it aside and became a servant, born into a people who were enslaved by the Roman government, born into a system of religion that had been corrupted from the truth in many ways, born into the sinfulness of our world. The God of the universe humbled himself and took an incredible risk for us. Well, our second example here in this passage of a risk taker is Timothy. And Timothy gives us the aim or the the, the thing that we are to focus on as a risk taker. The attitude is selflessness. It's not about me. But the aim of a risk taker is service. The thing that we are called to do is to find a place to serve. Philippians 2, 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Do you see how Paul lives? He is so focused on what's happening in the churches like the church here at Philippi that that's what consumes his thoughts. Not the suffering and the difficulty and the trials and the physical pain, we read in the book of Acts, we, we discover that he has a thorn in the flesh where he's asked the Lord to take it away, and the Lord said no. Uh, many believe, based upon some of the things that are written about, about Paul, that, 
Um, he was perhaps going blind, and, and he ends up writing with, with very large letters at the end of his letters with his own hand instead of having someone else write it down for him because perhaps that was all he could see. But his focus is so on Christ. For I have no one like him, talking about Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So he takes the one who's become his son in his imprisonment, and he's willing to send him out out of love for Christ and for the church at Philippi. He said, all others seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. I want you to remember that, that little phrase, proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Timothy was concerned about the interest of Christ. He said, so many others are focused on themselves, but Timothy is a risk taker. His sole focus, his sole aim is on serving Jesus. And Timothy, whereas Paul says, it's not about me, Timothy says, it's all about Jesus. That's where I'm going to set my heart. Timothy abandoned his own needs, his own comfort. He wasn't imprisoned. He was free to come and go, and yet he spend time, spends time with Paul in prison and becomes his hands and feet in serving the needs of the church. Isn't that what God's called us to? To do exactly the same thing. He recognized that life was not about himself, but about God. And the aim of his life was to serve. Now, in this passage, it uses this word, proven worth. And another translation that, that you may have is, you know his character. Character itself means an image that is pounded or engraved into a piece of metal. If you have a, a coin in your pocket or in your purse, it is um, what you see on the face of that is its character. What gives it its value in our monetary systems is not the metal that it's made out of, but it is the image that is stamped on it. That's why every coin has a different, no matter what country you're in, they have different images. That expresses its value. That's where the word character comes from. It's stamped with a value. But here's what's interesting. The word character in the days of the New Testament, only referred to a slave. It referred to their worth as a slave. In the face of the church, it refers to our worth as a slave who is fully devoted to Christ Jesus, a bond slave. And that is why the character that is to be stamped into the image of our life is the reflection of Jesus Christ. His worth. That's when, when it says, you know his proven worth about Timothy, what they're saying is the image that is stamped into his life is Jesus. When Timothy comes, we see a reflection of Christ. And isn't that what we want to be? To live a life so that others see in us the character, the imprinted image of Jesus Christ.
In essence, Paul is saying that Timothy has proven that the image of Christ-like service is imprinted upon him like a brand on the forehead of a slave. Serving Christ was Timothy's character, and he focused on the interests of Jesus. He cared about others with the same heart, the same passion that Jesus Christ cared about them. That is the call of every risk taker. It is the call of every believer to focus on, not on our own interests, but on the interests of Christ. So we need to do an inventory of our own interests and see how much of our life, how much of our character is driven by the interests of Christ and how much is driven by my own heart and interest. But there's a third person here, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus show us, shows us the action of a risk taker, which is sacrifice. He not only served, he was willing to put himself at great risk because the reward of building up others in the faith drove all that he did. Verse 25 of chapter 2. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. What he's saying is Epaphroditus came to him and not only became a companion, he became a brother. He not only was someone who he had value in, but he saw how God was using him as a fellow worker. And this is so important in the body of Christ. We need to believe in one another. We need to see the gifts that God has given us and not compare them in a way where we're saying, well, this, this set of gifts or this person is more valuable than this person. That's not how the body of Christ works. Every gift, every believer, every talent is equally needed in order to present the body of Christ and the bride of Christ to the world. Paul valued Epaphroditus. We don't know whether he was successful in the way the world would measure it or even the way the church would measure it. But the way Paul saw him was, he is my fellow worker. I believe in what he's doing. And not only that, I've seen him in the trenches. He's a fellow soldier. He has, he has taken hits for the gospel. In essence, what Paul is saying is Epaphroditus is my hero. He's building him up because he sees Christ being lived out through him. My fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. See, what had happened was Epaphroditus had been sent from the church at Philippi to bring an offering to Paul to support him while he's in prison. Because you see, his sustenance wasn't provided by the prison. Most of our countries, our home countries, if you go to prison, the government provides for your needs. You get a bed, you get, it may not be very good, but you get a bed, you get clothing, you get water, you get food. It didn't work that way in the ancient world. It had to be brought to you and provided by someone else. Epaphroditus was sent by the church at Philippi. That's why he was so near to their heart and why they were worried about him. He was their own. And he says, 
for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed, verse 26, because you had heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Do you see the love that he has for Epaphroditus? That's the love we are to have for one another. That is why we are called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice because we are brothers and sisters together as Christ, in Christ Jesus. I am all the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What he's saying is Epaphroditus wore himself out to serve Christ and to be the hands and feet of the church at Philippi in ministering to Paul while he was in prison. He risked his own health. Now, there's, there's a lot we can learn from this um, in some practical theological things. But the first thing we want to see is that Epaphroditus put the needs of others before his own needs, even at the risk of his own life. Now, let's pull some things out of this that this passage tells us. It's not necessarily there to teach us a specific set of doctrines, but doctrines will reveal themselves. First of all, we see that sickness is not always the result of sin. There are those who would teach that if you're sick, it is either because of sin, just like the friends of Job tried to teach that, that the reason why he had suffered those boils on his body and all the suffering was going was because he had sinned. Now, all of us are sinners, and, so, and we live in a broken world, and so sin is a root cause of all suffering, but it's not necessarily always a cause and effect. The suffering of Epaphroditus had nothing to do with his sin. He was sold out to Jesus Christ. He was serving him. Here is a man who was sick because of faithful service to Jesus and other people, and, for, and it says in verse 30, for the work of Christ, he came near to death. So sickness is not always the result, a cause and effect result of sin. Secondly, we learn that it is not always God's will to heal instantly or miraculously. I want you to think about this. Paul had the gift of healing. He could have theoretically just said, Epaphroditus, be healed. But we need to understand the purpose of miracles in the Bible are to point people to God and therefore their ultimate, their, their first priority is to reveal the accuracy of God's message to unbelievers. God does heal, but God also will use our sufferings to allow us to come into a fellowship with Jesus Christ and to ultimately build up the faith of others. That's what was happening with Epaphroditus. His sickness, his suffering transformed the church at Philippi to where they are heartbroken for their brother. And what happens when we're focused in on someone who is hurting? It changes our prayer life. 
we begin to see their value in different ways, and we pray for them earnestly, and we recognize that there are greater things at work, that we are not of this world. There's a purpose in the midst of our, our suffering. And so it wasn't God's will to heal him. Some of you need to take comfort from that because maybe, maybe you've had a, a chronic illness for a long time. And, and you're, you're wondering, God, what am I doing wrong that's not allowing me to be healed? Is, do I not have enough faith? That's not necessarily the case. Maybe God wants to use that weakness, that limitation, that illness to ultimately bring glory to his name. And he will use your faith to speak into the hearts and lives of others in ways that your recovery never could. Do you see the difference? Thirdly, we learn that healing is a mercy from God. It is not something that we can demand from him as being our right. Paul says, God had mercy on him and had mercy on me. It was a gift, graciously given. He already, Epaphroditus already had the greatest gift. He had salvation. He had an eternal life that was secure. He was already seated in the heavens with, with Christ. So that part is all absolutely secure. But his physical life, his physical healing was a mercy of God that God gave because God he still had work for Epaphroditus to do. Day after day, Epaphroditus had labored to serve Paul. He did so at great risk. When I look back upon my journey of faith, the opportunities that I've had, the people that come to mind that our great heroes are individuals who have persevered under great strain, under great illness, or who have placed themselves in harm's way to serve the needs of others. I've had the privilege of being in some very difficult places on the face of the earth at some very dangerous and perilous times and seen Brothers and sisters in Christ, be paraboloni, be risk takers. And even as I look back on my own journey of faith, the moments that produce joy is not those times when maybe the sermon was good and they got a lot of response. It's not when everything went well. It's been in those Moments where the true reality that we are not of this world has shown through in the midst of suffering. Because that speaks loudest. Epaphroditus lived the sacrifice of Christ. He was willing to become like Christ in that he wore himself out for the work of the gospel. He was so focused on serving others 
that he was not distressed over his own health, but over the spiritual health of the church at Philippi and serving the needs of God's kingdom by serving Paul and others that were there with him. He sacrificed his health nearly to the point of death out of love. It was an action of a risk taker. But the foremost risk taker of all is Jesus Christ. That's why we see him described there in verses 1 through 11 in Philippians chapter 2, how he humbled himself, became a servant. But Isaiah 53 sums it up so well in verse 12. It says, he poured out himself to death. Jesus was scourged, was beaten, was abandoned, was rejected, was spit on, was, had his beard pulled out out of love for you and love for me. He took the punishment that we could not pay and could not endure. In order to pay the full penalty of sin, he sacrificed his life out of love for you so that you can have eternal life and I can have eternal life. That's the great news of the gospel, what God has done for us. And when we have the attitude of a risk taker, one of selflessness, when we have the aim of a risk taker, one of service, and when we practice the actions of a risk taker, that of sacrifice, the image of Christ begins to shine through our life because that is what Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. A true risk taker is not one who is gambling on unsure odds. Rather, it is someone willing to forsake the value of our own life to preserve a greater value, the glory of God. It is one who sacrifices that which is good for that which is best. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Now, the passage ends with the rewards of a risk taker. Look what Paul tells to the church at Philippi as he sent this letter ahead of Epaphroditus, knowing he's going to return in a few weeks from the time they receive it. He says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The rewards of a risk taker is first of all a warm family welcome. He says, Welcome them. There needs to be a special place in our hearts for those who take a faith risk for Christ. They have earned an authentic welcome, and God Himself promises this welcome to you and I. Well done my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He tells us from his own lips in Matthew 25, 21. Secondly, the rewards of a risk taker is an authentic honor. It says we are to hold them in high regard. In all essence, what that means is we're to pattern our life after what we've seen of Christ in them and honor them for their conduct. The women and the men who live 
in such a way. And then finally, the great reward is that they're an inspiring joy. There's only a few sentences written about Epaphroditus, and yet his life, in fact, one word about his life became an inspiration of a movement because, you see, the Paraboloni did not just serve in Carthage. It became a movement that spread across early Christianity of those who were willing to risk their life to serve the needs of others. And it became an evidence that eventually led to part of the transformation in the Roman Empire of moving it away from paganism to begin to embrace Jesus Christ. The historian Tacitus writes about the character of the Christians, how they were willing to sacrifice themselves out of love for others. Now, he calls them the pagans in his writing because um, they weren't worshiping the Roman gods. But he was perplexed by their character. You see, when we live sacrificially, when we live as a risk taker for the gospel because we recognize we are not of this world, it proclaims to others that Jesus Christ is real. There's something dramatically different about our lives and the joy with which we are able to hold this world lightly but cling with all of our might to our God. That's what we do as risk takers. I want to end with a quote from Cyprian, who was the leader of the Paraboloni. And I'm going to try to semi-translate it because it's written in, the translation is in very old English. So I'm going to take a little liberties to try to make it a little more understandable. What a beauty of spirit it is to struggle with all the powers of an unshaken mind against so many enemies and devastations and death. How marvelous to stand erect amid the brokenness of the human race and not to lie down with those who have no hope but rather to rejoice in God and to embrace His goodness in these occasions. And thus we do bravely, showing forth our faith. And by suffering that we endure, we go forward in Christ by the narrow way that Christ Himself first walked so that we may receive the reward of His life and faith according to his own judgment. That was the heart of Cyprian, who led forth the Paraboloni to take a risk. And without faith, without risk, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Last week we looked at the joy of bringing pleasure to God. Here in this passage, we build upon that and recognize God is calling us to be bold, to take a step, to take a risk of faith. And it may not be something that is physical danger. That's not the point. He wants to stretch us and use us 
You see, what happens is when we live dependent upon God and not upon our own resources, that's risky. But it proclaims, God, I trust you, I love you, and I'm expectant to see how you are going to work in and through my life. You are my joy. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, would you transform us, transform me. Lord, help me to be willing to, to recognize that a life about myself is an empty life, but a life given fully to you, given for your fame and for the service of others, is filled with joy. Lord, would you give us an attitude of a risk taker? Lord, help us to be selfless. Help us to remember that life is not about us. Would you give us the aim of a risk taker, Lord? Enable us to serve your interests by serving others, by serving your church, by serving those who are engaged in communicating the gospel both in action and in word. And Lord, would you empower us with the, with the actions of a risk taker. Give us courage to be bold for you, to live for you, and Lord, to be expectant about how you are going to work. We pray these things because we love you and we are looking for you and your reward. In Jesus' name, amen.